It's me, Monica. I am happy to be back in the podcasting world. I hope that I can stay with you today. I will. Ha- I do have to admit that it's been a struggle. Um, a few weeks ago, I was a little bit irresponsible, and in the middle of interviewing somebody for my podcast, I spilled coffee all over my laptop and watched it sizzle. I also got a new laptop. In the meantime, I've recorded two episodes, um, but because I'm using a Chromebook, which is, quite frankly, maybe the most horrible technology in the entire world, and thus I just don't know how to use it correctly, Um, but I have also recorded two episodes that didn't save, and I am literally praying with everything in me that I can just get this episode out without it disappearing into the ether. Uh, Because I put a lot of heart and soul into this interview and aside from all of my stressful computer technology glitches, um, I'm really excited for this interview. It's with Dr. Lauren Hazori and she is located in Scranton. She She owns a private practice Um, and also is very active in social media and puts on workshops for teens and um, young adults to help them with self-esteem. But her insights on um, social conditioning and patriarchy and all of that was really, really insightful for me. So I hope you enjoy the show. One thing I did want to let you know is I currently at this time am not able to go through and edit out all the ums and yas and dead silence and whatever shit is in the background because I don't have the technology. Um, (laughs) So it is what it is. You have to deal with the raw unedited audio and I hope that you will forgive me and not judge me too much because in reality I use the word um and like way too often. I usually put a lot of work into editing these. Um, It usually takes about like one to three hours depending on the content and um, and I'm a little bummed right now um, that I don't have the software that I'm used to using. Um, So yeah. Anyway, I'll try not to harp on that too much if you try not to harp on that too much. Otherwise, enjoy the show. You're learning. Okay. So I am here now uh, with Dr. Lauren. So I know Lauren. I was lucky enough to uh, put on, like, she put on a workshop for girls, um, for teens, and it was a self-esteem workshop, and I was lucky enough to speak a little bit about poetry and how that can help you process your emotions and things that you're going through, um, and so, yeah, so that's how I know Lauren, and Lauren, do you want to, uh, you know, take it from here? Oh, sure. Um, so- <laughs> Well, Monica, thank you for having me. Um, I'm thrilled to be on your podcast. So yeah, I'm Dr. Lauren Hazuri. Um, I'm the founder of Hazuri Psychology, which is a private practice in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, I see primarily high school and college age girls and also some young women too. Um, and I'm also the founder of Not Therapy, which is an evidence-based psychoeducation platform 
where we, you know, dive into all different things like self-esteem and improving mood and anxiety, you know, trying to prevent eating disordered behaviors and just a lot of the things that societal messaging and social norms um, affects for so many of us girls and women. And so the reason that it's called not therapy is because it's not therapy. Um, it is a psychoeducation platform. And I never want people to think that getting the education is um to be confused for or a replacement for getting therapeutic services. Um, but I do think that it's important that we all learn about the different things that affect every single one of us um, every day from the time that we're born, the different social messages that we all receive. So if we learn about how those things affect our mental health and affect how we feel about ourselves and then what behaviors we engage in, whether they be self-destructive behaviors or difficulty with connecting with ourselves and other people in a meaningful way. I think it's important that everybody, not just people who go to therapy, learn all of those things so that they can really have an opportunity to manage their mood, manage their behavior and become their best selves. So that's me. So I have the private practice in Scranton and then also Not Therapy, which is an educational platform. We have different events. Um, I have a website. Um, I do things like this podcast with Monica and I'm currently writing a book. Awesome. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask, so you're talking now, like a lot of your work is based on um, recognizing societal norms and like behavioral norms, but things that um, we were just, we just grew up with, like we just, we don't, so I guess my first question, <laughs> um, and I want to get into a little bit of your own like mental health stuff if mm -hmm. like later on, but I guess this kind of ties in, how do you how did you recognize maybe like that these societal norms exist and how does one recognize that? Like, where is, when does that light bulb go off for people? If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting that we start there because, you know, growing up girl, um, I, I experienced so many, um, confusing and challenging ages and stages. Um, I don't think any of the ages and stages were easy for me, um, which led me to be so interested in all of these topics, of course. So, you know, growing up, I, you know, struggled with eating disordered behaviors. I struggled with anxiety. I struggled with depression. Um, like, you name it, I struggled with it. And, you know, when there came to be a time where, I decided to, you know, practice psychology and it didn't start off like I wasn't like, oh, I want to be a psychologist. That was never a thought in my mind. Um, the thought was I was taking psychology classes and doing really well because I was so hyper interested um, because it just all made sense to me. And so it didn't feel like studying. It didn't feel like work. So I just kept on taking more and more and more and more and more of them until yeah. oh, I have so many credits in this area. I might as well just do this thing, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, and I didn't really recognize anything about social norms or how society affects our mental health until I started the private practice. And, you know, my idea, I thought, okay, I'm going to go in, I'll be a clinician. And, you know, it was, it was great for me because it was something that I could do in my hometown and I always felt safest here. Um, so when I was struggling with my anxiety, whatever, it was just the safest place was to be somewhere near my mom. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, I feel that. I so feel that like, so much. Yeah. So a psychologist was something that I could do home and um, I knew I could make my own schedule. And so if I did struggle with mood or I did need to take 
you know, take some mental health days. I could have a private practice. I could be my own boss. Um, and I could, um, you know, so I could do both. I could, I could, I could work. Um, I can create a light for myself and I could also take time to self-care, which I knew was going to be an important part of my adult life. And so it wasn't, you know, I didn't become a psychologist because of all that I thought that it was. Um, I became a psychologist because it seemed like a doable thing. And so, you know, when I when I went into my private practice at that point, I was physically and emotionally as well as I had ever been. Um, and I thought that I had just pretty much nailed it. You know, I was like, oh, damn, like I'm better now. And, I started, <laughs> yeah. you know, I went in, I started by seeing everybody. I started by seeing boys and girls and men and women and basically whoever was referred to me at the time. And, you know, when I went in, I would start with, um, <laughs> you know, like I had been trained to do. Um, how was your week? And how did that feel? And when, you know, when the girls came in, I'd say, how was your week? And they would start talking. And I began this process of remembering where, you know, I was so far removed from my own pain at that point because I'd been doing well for quite a while that when they started talking, I was like, holy shit, these girls are literally having the same exact problems and the same self-destructive thoughts and actions that I had 20 years ago. Like, they're not even any different. It's like they literally just jumped into my 18-year-old brain. How did that happen? And so I was like, all right, so holy shit, this problem wasn't me. There's definitely a problem outside of me because they have the same one. Oh, my life. The problem is not called anxiety and the problem is not called depression and the problem is not called eating disorder. The problem is something that's creating these symptoms. So I began to look at the things that people think are their problems, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, as symptoms of some other problem that I didn't understand. Something was happening to all of us. And so when I was like, all right, so what the hell is this something? I started to go back and read, um, you know, about the influences on self-esteem. Cause I was like, one thing that we all have in common here is low self-esteem. And so self-esteem is basically just confidence in your own value. So I was like, all right, so what is, what's creating this low self-esteem? And I started to really look at the research on social norms. Social norms are manners of behavior that are deemed acceptable in a society. And so when I looked at the research on social norms, I was like, all right, so who creates these social norms? And I started to read about patriarchal society. And while in America we live in a democracy, it's a patriarchal structure, right? And that's some of the reason that we have all these problems, I think, in our country today is because a patriarchy and a democracy are, are they, can't, they can't coexist, right? But we live in a patriarchal structure. And what that means is that the higher up you get in our hierarchy, the maler, the more male you get, and the whiter you get. <laughs> Right. And so, you know, and that's not this is not anti-male by any stretch of the imagination. We're all human because patriarchy does steal a lot of things from men as well. But so when I started to look at how patriarchal society affects our mental health, affects our self-esteem, how these social norms infiltrate our every move and action, I was like, holy shit, like we weren't raised in a vacuum, right? And so when I was growing up, because I didn't know about social norms and because I didn't know that we lived in a patriarchal society and I didn't know any of these things, I assumed that the problem was me. But when I started to really learn all of these things and see how, holy shit, all these norms and messaging that we receive from the time that we're born that are really confusing and oftentimes, um, 
you know, they don't even they're we get like these opposite messages all in one sentence, like you can do anything, ooh, but not that. Um, it's important that you are thin and attractive, that you are smart, but not too smart because you don't want to be threatening. Um, like all of those things that girls and women hear from the time that we're born um, really have an impact on how we think about ourselves. And of course they would. Right. So basically, I started to look at, OK, so how does patriarchy affect our self-esteem? How does self-esteem affect our mental health? And, you know, I, I recognized that we can't we can't look at anything we compartmentalize everything we can't compartmentalize anything because all of these things are correlated and really impact our every move so that was that then at the same time as i was in there and you know these girls are coming in they're saying like you know kind of behavioral therapy is based on the premise that thoughts lead to feelings and feelings lead to action so if we want to change something that we're doing or not doing we need to go to our feelings so what are we feeling um, and you can't have a feeling without having a thought first. So, okay, so if we're feeling unwanted feelings, go to the thoughts. What are the thoughts? Well, the thoughts are, I'm not enough, I'm too much, I'm fat, I'm ugly, I'm unlovable. Where'd they get those? Holy shit. The patriarchal society has these social norms, and these are the messages that come with the social norms. So it's not like this inner critic that we all have, you know, in our early childhood. It's not like it's just making this shit up. It's like, oh my God, we're just really good listeners. And so, you know, just as human beings, we're always aware of our surroundings. We're always taking things in, even when it's unconscious. And so I'm like, all right, so what I'm recognizing that now is that, like, I wasn't crazy. I was a really good freaking listener and I was taking it all in. And because we're spiritual beings having a human experience, not vice versa, we need to connect with one another in a meaningful way in order to feel good the same way that we need food and water. And so in order to connect with other people in a meaningful way, what do we need to do? Well, if we've been listening, we need to be A, B, C, D. And when we're in adolescence, we realize, holy shit, that's everything I'm not. And so then we engage in really self-destructive behaviors and hate on ourselves, trying to be all of those things so that we can fit in, so that we can connect, so that we can belong. And it ends up having the opposite effect because what we have to do in order to do that is we have to disconnect from our true selves and attach to patriarchy rather than connect with ourselves, be all that we are, stand in our power and change what those norms look like. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> and I was just saying I was having a hard time writing the book and I can't write any of it. So I have no idea why that happens. Well, you know, we can transcribe this and then you'll have my hear. Uh, no, that's amazing. Um, and I thought of so many things. One of the biggest things I thought of is like my eight year old cousin who told me the other day that she can't put whipped cream on her mm. something or other because it has 150 calories. She is eight years old and she spent like seven hours swimming in the lake. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you are eight years old. You do not count calories. I was like, my, you could be mindful of what you're eating. You don't have to always eat extra if you don't want extra. But like, please do not think that. And she said, she's like, but I'm this weight and I know it. And I'm like, oh my Lord. So it's like, then it's so hard to like, you want to kind of like reach out and like be like, no, like I want to stop this from happening. Like I want to stop this cycle, which I feel like is something that you have done. So like you to me, like it's interesting 
I know these things a lot through your speaking and then like researching similar stuff. And what I love is like now we can touch down to the younger generations because now that we can recognize these norms and speak about them, like how important is that? Like the fact that like you were however old when it really started to hit you and you had to like dig through all of these different like facets of like spirituality and patriarchy and like psychology and then like after all of that digging and all of the research and like thoughts and like emotions that like went into all of that so you could wake up to this idea and now the fact that you're able to share that with like a younger generation so they're getting this message like earlier on like I think that's so amazing like I think that speaks like so much to like evolution so like I don't know if that like ever hits you but like is that kind of why you like like you said you started like with um you like kind of treating all types of groups of people and now you you focus primarily with teens and like young adults and is that kind of maybe why like well honestly I think it's just you know at this point it's a lot of the referrals that I get you know <laughs> but if people think of me for that for good reason and so they so you know my schedule fills up with with that group of people um and yeah. I just think I'm I think I'm best with that group of people keep but going, um, I need to close the window okay so I'll just keep talking so um so I think that I'm I think I'm best with that demographic um but yeah I mean the way that you said you know when you saw your niece you know how you get that panicky feeling um when you see it happening to somebody else yeah. Um, you know how you get that, like, oh, my God, no, 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 don't, like, I get that feeling a lot. Like, I get the, like, oh, my God, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. And yeah. I, 10 hours a day, like, I typically see, like, 10 people in my clinical days. And, like, if, you know, I, and it's like I'm, it's like I'm embedded in a, like, cross-sectional study of female development, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, like, when I first started this, you know, my daughter, Ava, you know, she was, she was pretty young and she was like, she was like loud and boisterous and like vocal. And she was singing and dancing and making the thing that she called her specialty, which was basically just like Oreos crushed in milk. And she was like loud and proud. And I was like, you know, in my thirties and I would go into work and I would see these, you know, nine-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 35-year-olds, all these. And like, I was like, wait a second. Ava's there like singing and dancing and like no mom I'm not doing that and yes I am doing that and then I would see somebody who's just two years older than her um and the mom would come in and say like I don't know what happened to her like she used to be so she used to dance and sing and whatever and now she's here and she's just so quiet it's like she lost herself what happened you know and I would be like oh my god yeah what happened because I remember that like it was like conscious process of remembering like oh my god yeah that happened to me wait what happened what happened yeah what you know so like in the research it's not just a matter of so we have two like we have two big things here the first thing is patriarchal society sexism you know misogyny social norms social messaging and not only that it's out there but that we internalize it so it's like the water is polluted and we're drinking it um and then we become agents of that hierarchy because there's no way that it could exist if we weren't agents of it too Right. Okay. And yeah. so, so we become the culture. Okay. 
Yeah. Can you so, like explain like examples on that? Like a little yeah, bit? So an example is right. So society might say, you know, women, things that are valued in women are weight and shape. Society might say that we might get those messages from the media. We might get those messages just watching a movie. We might get those messages just, you know, we're walking down the street and our mom says like, ooh, doesn't she look nice? And it's some thin woman dressed in a nice outfit. So we're like, oh, okay, check, noted, nice outfit, thin, yeah. you know? And so so we, we take all of these notes and so we recognize, okay, so thin and attractive is valued in this place. Got it, I understand that. And then what we do is we, we accept it as truth and we carry it on. So then we're with our friends and we see a thin woman who is attracting. We say, Ooh, she's pretty. Isn't she? Right. And like, so we just learned it and now we're carrying the message. Okay. But if we learned it and recognized, we were like, Oh, actually no mom. Like, yeah, she looks nice, but you know, that's not what gives her her value. Yeah. We don't know what gives her her value. Her value is because she's breathing. Her value is because she's here. Her value is because she is her purpose. If we were able to say that and not not associate her value with her looks, then we wouldn't then carry that message on to somebody else. You know, so, so we carry it on. So then what happens is we, we take that in and then our negative thought voice, which is our inner critic that is trying to help us to fit into our society. Cause like I said, we need to connect with other people in a meaningful way in order to feel good. And our inner critic is just trying to be protective and help us actually. Um, but it didn't get the memo that, you know, we're not meant to fit in this place. Um, we're here to change this place. Right. So like, it just didn't get that memo. Um, but bottom line is that we become agents of patriarchy in that we tell ourselves and other people those messages that we've learned from people who don't know any better. So can you like explain a little bit how um, like patriarchy would affect a male? Because you mentioned that before. Right. So, so studies indicate that like the same way that we have, so every single one of us has an attachment style, right? So attachment style is, um, you know, Bowlby, Ainsworth, and others who are just psychologists who were like doing awesome research in like the like 40s, 50s, blah, blah, blah. Um, so they suggest that every single one of us has an attachment style. And it's the way that we attach to other people um, and connect with other people. And we learn that from our earliest relationship. So usually for us, you know, our, our attachment figure is our mom, but it could be our father or somebody else who is meeting our needs in infancy. And from the way that those needs are met, we come up with our own attachment style. Now, the reason that's relevant now for us and the reason we're talking about it now when I'm 44 and you're whatever is because (laughs) our attachment style carries with us throughout our lifespan. That's what the research indicates. So attachment style comes in two different types. There's secure and there's insecure. A secure attachment style in infancy looks like the kid who can self-soothe, is kind of like, okay, gets their needs met consistently. And then when they're like growing up, they can kind of roam about the universe knowing that they always have a comfy place to come home to, right? So Yeah, I hate those suckers. I hate them. No. <laughs> I don't know many, you know? Um, <laughs> Not anymore, but yeah. The securely attached don't really come my way but um, (laughs) but yeah that's only about 54 percent of the population um and then we have the insecure type and that comes in a couple of different flavors like the earliest research you know they've come up with other types since but the earliest is that there's an anxious type that's the needy clingy kid that you know has 
you know, separation anxiety when going to school in infancy, you know, always needs to hang out with their peers in adolescence. And it's like the baby, I love you, you love me in adult relationships, right? And then we have the avoidant type that, you know, looks secure because they're kind of roaming about the universe, but it's not because they feel safe and secure to do so. It's because they're holding everybody and everything at arm's length because they're like, you know what? I don't trust any of you bastards. So I'm <laughs> going to kind of, I'm just going to keep everybody at arm's length and I'm going to manage my own abandonment um, because I'm afraid that I will get hurt by you. And so then in adolescence, that's the people that, um, you know, don't really like kind of like, they're too cool for school, you know, and then in, and then in adulthood, they're like the ghosters, you know, <laughs> the ones that yeah. didn't like leave you unopened. Right. And you're like, but they were so into me. And then they just kind of like, soon as it seems to get a little too close, they just give you a big shove, you know? Um, so that's that. So the reason that that's relevant in this conversation is because there's a research to indicate that in adolescence between the ages of like, let's say, you know, for girls, it's a little bit earlier, nine to 11 for boys, it's more like 11 to 14. But around that time that we have this process that's analogous to the attachment process in infancy and that we attach to patriarchy. Okay. And so what that means is that at those ages, after we've taken our notes, right? So we have this, you know, we have our secure or insecure attachments type and that, you know, what I see in my office is that the people who have a more insecure attachment style in early childhood are those who are more at risk for this. But that, you know, you go through life, you take in all these messages, you come up with your self-esteem and, you know, if you have low self-esteem, then all of a sudden it's time to start to connect with peers and do the, you know, individual separate individuation separation whole deal in adolescence and at that time is when the internalization of patriarchy occurs. And what happens is we disconnect from ourselves and attach onto social standards so that we kind of become the culture. And what that looks like is when you um, think, okay, so in order to fit in this place, I'm going to have to do A, B, C, and D. And you become, you know, you lose your voice girls are said to lose their voice. So they almost do an act of disappearing. Whereas, like I said, Ava, when she was little, she would say, I know. And then my nine to 11 year old girls in the office would be like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And what boys do is they say, I care. And then when patriarchy hits them, they internalize it and they start to attach to, to society. They say, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we, oh Yeah. Yeah, so we don't know, and they don't care. Well, that's what I was just going to say. That's what I'm, like, struggling to get out. It's just, like, it's, like, I, it took me so long to realize that, like, both sides of the coin had shit going on. Oh, like, yeah. it was just, like, while he ghosted me, like, it's all about me. Like, I did something wrong. He's perfect. He has his life together. He knows what he wants. He's so confident. Like, just, like, you put them, like, on this, like, place where you're, like, they are the ideal being, and they know know exactly what they're doing and because they know what they're doing and because they like aren't answering you then that says really bad things about you because like if you were good like they would be reaching out to you in reality no it's not like that no so what happens and 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 so when you think about the things that we have to lose in order to fit in here girls and women have to lose in order to fit in here we have to lose our knowing 
We have to detach from our mind. Um, Boys and men have to lose their caring and they have to detach from their emotion. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so what it looks like is like we talked about those, those different attachment styles in, in infancy. And what, what it looks like is girls look like an anxious attachment. Mm-hmm. And what I mean is the anxious attachment um, by the earliest researchers, anxious attachment was described as, quote unquote, pathological caretaking. Okay. Where you kind of like lose your voice and, you know, meet somebody else's needs before they even ask. Like, you know, <laughs> we don't jump. We don't jump as high as we're told to jump. We jump so high that nobody ever has to ask us to jump, you know, and then boys are more the avoidant type where they have to stop the feeling and keep everybody at arm's length in order to not feel the pain it takes to disconnect from who they are. And they have to do things like, you know, where we're told we have to be thin and attractive and smart, but not too smart and successful, but not threatening and all those things. Boys and men are told that, you know, emotions are for like, you know, wimps and that they have to be successful and they have to have money and power and all of these things in in order to have value in this place and it really takes the it really takes the human out of humanity yeah on both sides yeah so Um, what do we do so what do we do um you know (laughs) what So what do we do? Well, we do my not therapy program. Um, that's the first thing we do. So what I recognize is, you know, I started to see the value, anxious attachment and insecure attachment started to pop up everywhere for me. Um, you know, so what I what I noticed when I first started my practice was not only the holy shit, these girls are having all of the same thoughts and they have all the same core beliefs about themselves and they are self-destructing in many of the same exact ways that I did two decades ago. Um, and that's because we're all influenced by the same hierarchy and forces. Um, you know, and and we all have two forces working on us at all times, right? So we all have spiritual forces um, that are within us and around us, right? So like, I think of it like mind, body, spirit. So our, our spirit's the thing that's on the inside. It's our life force. It's our essence. It's our truth. It's whatever you want to call it, right? And so we have our spiritual forces. Um, that's our truth. And that connects me to you and you to your sister and your sister to her best friend and connects all of us, right? And then we have these patriarchal forces, um, that are worldly, but they're always competing, always competing. And, um, you know, so what I recognized when I went into the office was not only that there were these competing patriarchal forces that were making us detach from our own truth and spirit and become the culture, but that, um, what these girls and women needed from me was something very different than I had been trained to do. Um, you know, I expected that I was going to go in there and that I was going to, um, that I was going to do this intake and we were going to come up with this treatment plan and we do all those things. Um, and, but I thought it was going to be very, I thought it was going to be more cut and dry than it was. And what I recognized that was that, you know, what the girls and women needed from me, I almost became like a surrogate attachment figure. Um, in many instances. And I was very cognizant of the responsibility that came with that. Yeah. And like, and so, you know, and also I recognize that through therapy and therapy is a great thing, you know, but it's also just part of a solution. You know, that's so- why I'm kind of a little bit afraid to be a therapist because I think I'm definitely the kind of person who will take it on. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think like, and so, but I don't think 
by the time you go through all the training and all the things that you need to do, that's what people tell me. They do tell things me things from a much more objective way. You know yeah, what I, mean? I have um, heard that. Yeah. So it like by the time you 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 jump through all those hoops. Yeah. Um, yeah, you don't. But yeah. but but there is a thing that you know therapy is part of a solution. And a lot of times the name of my startup, not therapy, people get kind of pissed. Like therapy, what are you negating therapy for? I'm like, okay, dude. Like I'm not negating therapy. <laughs> It's also not the end all be all. And it also is an institution um, with its own hierarchy, the same way that patriarchy is. And so, you know, let's not forget that while my girls and women are learning how to stand up, use their voice, you know, recognize the rules and the challenges that come with living in the society, I'm doing the same thing within the hierarchy of psychology and therapy. Um, because yeah. I have a lot of a lot of rules and regulations and whatever that oftentimes I feel muzzle me. Um, and I feel like, you know, do I say what I think or can I say what I really think? And yeah. oftentimes, in order to stay within my guidelines, I can't say what I really think. And I feel like I'm doing these girls and women a disservice. And that pissed me off, which is why I started not therapy on the side so that I could have my own events and um, do a lot of the education and things like that um, and have a community where a lot of the girls and women were getting that surrogate attachment figure in with, with one another rather than needing it from me. But um, the point is, is that I was recognizing in my office that, you know, these girls, you know, and women that had these um, attachment wounds, they needed the consistency and the secure base and the unconditional positive regard and all of those things that was necessary for their healing. And that um, indicated to me that, you know, we have these two things that are working on, on us, this patriarchy and this attachment to it, um, the norms that we're internalizing and um, the way that we're disappearing and losing ourselves. So we have those two forces working on us all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in my experiences in therapy, it was that I was kind of almost becoming a surrogate attachment figure, teaching about patriarchy, teaching about social norms, teaching about how those things affect us in such a significant way on a daily basis so what if a girl comes in and she's like you know I hate myself like I you know like I'm disgusting I you know I am unattractive nobody likes me whatever I'm like oh my god no you're brilliant you're a really good listener listen to this shit you know what I mean like you won't believe it um you know and it's a lot of educating moms too uh because I've never met a parent who doesn't love their kid more than their own life um but you have to remember that we all grew up in this place. We've all been drinking the water. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times mom comes in and she, you know, she's very concerned about, you know, the child saying like, listen, I'm really worried about her self-esteem. Like she's amazing. She's everything. Look at her. She's beautiful. And I'm like, oh, you know, um, yeah. like, you know, and it's not like being beautiful is a bad thing, but it's, already, no, yeah, you know, and I think it'll be like, you know, she disrespected me this week. She was wearing, you know, this, that, or the other thing, or you should see all the makeup she put on her face or she dyed her hair blue. And I'm like, okay, that shit just doesn't matter. You've, you've learned that <laughs> and yeah. like, it just doesn't matter. You know, like, like you, we either are going to be the protector of these girls spirits. We are going to be like the person to unleash their spirit soul or we are going to be an agent of patriarchy but you can't be both yeah um and I feel like a lot of times we we do that dance right like I have a yeah. now. Ava's you know 16 gonna be 17 and there's that dance where I want you to be all that you are and I want to unleash your soul and I want you to like stand in your power and I also 
um, want you to be okay here. Yeah. You know? um, yeah, I also, yeah. You know, and I also want you to, um, so it's not like I want you to fit in. I want you to become all that you are. Um, and at the same time, um, you know, like I, I, I do want you to, you need to get along here. And so I it's know, kind of like, I feel like my like that's like something that like a like is such a parental struggle like that I've noticed I guess even yeah. in my own life and like just having this podcast like I or anything like just with my family it's like they they definitely support me in every single thing I do they love that mm-hmm. but I think that there is this like lean I shouldn't even say with a podcast just like in general it's that attitude of like we we want you to do that but we also want to make sure you're okay because like things are really shitty out there and like you may not be okay like and like so I see that and the older you get you kind of be like oh well they were actually kind of looking out for me like totally totally, yeah yeah yeah. you know like I um you know I think we all do this dance right and it's just it's it's our attachment and relationship to all these things so an example would be you know I put on a full face of makeup and do my long blonde hair in order to do myself a seam workshop what (laughs) like if that's like but I think it's the attachment to those things yeah you know uh, the attachment to them so yeah like I love doing makeup and I think it's fun and um and I also you know like and of course I like to look nice like everybody else but it's our our attachment to that I recognize that it doesn't give me my value today yeah and that's the difference but like at the same time I think you know raising girls it's um that's a really, that's, it's, it's always a constant struggle of the water's polluted. Let me teach you this stroke, you know? Yeah. 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 And like, um, and it's constantly, you know, the way I explain to Ava, you always have to be in on the joke. Okay. You always have to be in on the joke. And what I mean by that is, yeah, we do those things and we recognize that, you know, we may be objectified or sexualized out there. Um, and we recognize the risks that come with that, um, all of the time. Um, and you know, there's always risks that come with all of those things, but I think that, you know, so it's just a constant awareness of self and surroundings. Okay. So it's almost like if you could see it happening, then you're less likely to internalize it. Yeah. Or like, or like an example, right? So I'm, so if I like, what I mean by being in on the joke, like I kind of can laugh at my, my negative thought voice still, still talks. I mean, I'm still human. I'm still aware. I'm still here. Right. So like, let's say I come home from work and I do this stuff with social norms and how they affect how we think, feel and behave, how we, you know, think about ourselves and others, like how we engage with the world. And I'll come home and like, I'll be washing my face and I'll be like, fuck, is that another laugh line? (laughs) Yeah. Kind of like, he, 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 you know what I mean? Yeah. No, like, okay. Social norms got you again. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm like, yes, that is another laugh line. But the problem is this, is that the reason that these things become so important to us and the reason that we attach to them and we choose early on to lose ourselves is because we want to be, we want to matter. We all, we're all just looking for love. We all just want to matter. We all (laughs) want to fit in here. We all just want to belong and that's it. And so even now, like when, when, like an example would be if I, if I was washing my face and there was that laugh line, like I would, I just want to remain relevant here. 
Yeah. And in order to be relevant here, um, you know what the rules look like, you know? And so I feel like, <laughs> yeah. I feel like it took me a really long time to get out of my own way and a really long time to learn all the shit that I've learned. And I have a lot to say. Um, I have a lot to do. And I don't want people to stop listening yet. Yeah. You know? And I think yeah. that that's the key. And so... So at every age and stage, there's this challenge of, um, you know, of all, you know, all those things and the internal kind of struggle with all of it. But I think that what I recognize now more than ever is that, yeah, I'll have that thought. And I'm like, shit, like another laugh line. Damn, like I want to remain relevant. Well, unless I'm the 100 percent um, true, honest, you know, hashtag authentic version of myself. Um, I have no relevance here because yeah. the reason you're here is to be me. The reason you're here is to be you. And the that lifeline and that like laugh line is part of that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's part of that whole thing. So, yeah. So I think um, every single one of us have to recognize that, you know, mental health concerns happen for three reasons, um, you know, because of our genetics, we really can't do shit about that. Right. Um, but then also because of, you know, the other contributors are lifestyle patterns and the other contributors are environment. And yeah. so we just talked about our environment, right? Our environment on the outside would be society and social norms and patriarchal society and how we internalize that by adolescence. And then also environment is our attachment style and then how that manifests again in analogous attachment in adolescence. And we have that crossroads in adolescence that it's like, is it going to be me or is it going to be them? And if we could always teach our girls, um, whether you're their aunt or I'm their mother or I'm their clinician or it's, you know, your friend's daughter or whatever. If we could always teach our girls that the crossroads is coming so that every single one of us can stay connected with ourselves and like recognize that the only way to truly matter and belong here is if we do that. Because if not, when we disconnect from ourselves and we attach to patriarchy, we go on this decades long journey of self-destructive behavior, toxic attachments, and all these things trying to fill a void that just won't quit. Um, and then, you know, when we finally get to the bottom of the bottom, we wake up and they and somebody says to us, oh, wait, you've just been a really good listener. <laughs> and it's like, oh, shit. Um, so we just need to help our girls to stay connected with themselves and recognize that, yeah, this crossroads is coming. It's coming for every single one of us. Have you if seen anything, like any like evidence that like, like, was there any like moments where you're like, I don't know, like any spiritual moments where you've been doing your work and you're like, wow, like someone like this is working or like something, you know, like just like well, I see it working in my girls every day. You know, yeah. I see it. I see it working in my girls every day. I see it working, you know, like when I like the, when those aha moments happen, it's like, oh, my God. So like what we say is that, um, you know, what 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 we say is like I have everybody remember that little girl like who was your little singing and dancing girl yeah. who was your little girl that because here's the thing our our body changes right like like we get the laugh lines and our, our body changes you know it it grows taller and bigger and then it kind of starts falling down and apart 
and our, our mind changes. We're always learning new things and thinking about different things, but that spirit remains exactly the same as it was. I'm the same person as that seven-year-old Lauren or that 19-year-old Lauren who struggled so badly or that 20-something, like I'm still, that spirit is still the same exact intact spirit. It's been the same since the day I'm born. And um, that's the only thing about us that doesn't, that doesn't change. And yeah. so we detach from it, but it's still there wholehearted. And so what I teach my girls and women is like, I want you to remember. I want you to remember little you. What did she do? What did she say? What did she know? And like when we get in, like, they're like, holy shit. I'm like, it's your duty to get her every day and bring her into every single thing that you do. Because until you rescue her, until you bring her into every conversation, you're never going to remember who you you are. And once you remember who you are and you stand in that power and you bring that into the conversation at work and you bring that into the conversation in your intimate relationship and you just like into every single thing that you do, you're not going to feel good. You know, yeah. you're not gonna well, feel good. it's so crazy. Like during quarantine, like I've had the chance to really like do a lot of this like inner work, I feel like. And one of the things is like inner child work and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I realized like through meditation that um, I kept having memories of being a child when I would hide. Mm -hmm. And like, I would do this all the time. And like, I just like, I look back now, like you're a little fucker. Like mm -hmm. I would like be with my friends, like everyone would play, be playing tag. And then like, I'd be the weirdo hiding in the bushes, like wanting everyone to look for me. Mm -hmm. Like, and like a lot of times they wouldn't because they didn't give a fuck <laughs> and they were playing tag. And so I would just be the little girl, like in the bush being sad because nobody was looking for me. And so like, um, but then I kind of recognize that that pattern of behavior has been like, and you were talking a little bit before about how like women seem to hide, like that seems to be like, and so like, I kept like noticing that. And then in this meditation, like I was able to kind of go back and talk to this little girl and just be like, listen, like everyone's out having fun. They're all just playing tag. Like nothing's wrong here. Yeah. Like I, you're actually not alone because I'm here. So future you is already looking out for you. So like, just get out of the fucking bushes and go have fun. And like, honestly, that was like one of the most healing things that I've ever done. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally get it. Totally yeah. get it. I have to get my charger. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I, think, I think too, like, um, you know, I had always like promised myself as a little girl, like my, my original plan was to be a, a, a dancer. Um, and so, like I promised myself as a little girl, like I would like imagine like what it would be like in the future. And like, I was going to be like, I was going to dance up this aisle and there were thousands of people and they were all going to be screaming. Ah! Yeah. Like, we do as kids, right? Like, like we're legends in our own mind. And, um, and so I had this plan, hold on, Ava, I need the charger for my computer. Um, so I had this plan and then, you know, of course that life plan got thrown off because of all my mental health stuff and all the shit. Right. So, um, and I went to plan B, which was become a psychologist rather than a professional dancer. But, um, <laughs> interestingly enough, when I started to learn about all these things with social norms and started to do these different events, I was invited to partner with Tresemme, like the hair people and, um, do an event in LA last year where there were like about 3000 people there. And I was like, fuck it. You know what? If I'm going to do this, like I'm going to do this for like little Lauren and I'm going to make up a dance. And I choreographed a dance with my best childhood friend who I danced with at the ballet theater Scranton. And 
I danced up the aisle to music that I made at a recording studio in Mount Cobb. And I was like, screw it. Instead of walking on stage in like a pencil skirt with a PowerPoint, I'm going to dance up the aisle because I can. And because like I owe her more than I own these people in the audience. And I need to do this for me. Yeah. And I never, I may never have the opportunity to make good on this IOU to my younger self. And so that's exactly what I did. And ever since then, it's been a totally different kind of attachment and relationship with my work even. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like I, I said shit. Like, now what do I do that I don't feel like I have anything to prove? Like, do I just <laughs> yeah but also I'm thinking too like as somebody that was at that event and watched you walk or like dance you know that's powerful that for everyone else to see like that like is something that other people the energy in the room is like wow like that girl's she doesn't care what she like and it's not even that it's just like powerful I and I that one the one that I did I did you ever see that video of that one did I send it to you is it we were wearing the white you're wearing the white, yeah, the white shirt, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's iconic. I think it's iconic. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you. Yeah, I think. Um, so yeah, you know, I guess the long and the short of it is just that. Um, I think the biggies are how social norms and society and patriarchy affect. Um, and the internalization of that affect our self-esteem. Um, also how our attachment style with our early childhood caregiver kind of affects how we think about ourselves and others and how that impacts self-esteem and how those two things then impact um, the crossroads and how we handle that crossroads in adolescence. Like, is it going to be me or is it going to be them? And, um, and I think that's the real game changer. And what ends up happening is that if we choose them, we do, you know, on this long path of decades long, trying to fill that hole in the soul void. And unfortunately what happens for a lot of us girls and women, I call it the dead eyes you know, um, we're like, we are just going through the motions and we've gotten so conditioned into just like daily life that, you know, we've lost our true selves, but we're like getting up and going to work and like making lunches and going home and making dinner and going to bed and getting up and doing the same thing the next day. And like, we create this life that we've been told is like, has all of the things, you know? So if we like have our house and we have our, our like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like things like that. We're like, oh, I guess this is what adult living supposed to be like. Um, but we're not even alive inside. And so like, yeah. when, especially when women come into me, like who are in their thirties or so. And like, I'm like, oh shit, you have the dead eyes. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh my God, yeah. like, there's nothing in there. Like we got to wake up. We got to wake yeah, up. I've had the dead eyes. I know. The, the yeah. dead eyes. Yeah. And like, when you have the dead eyes, like you, you don't realize it until you do. Yeah. Um, you know, it can go on for a long time, but then like the, my way out of that is always like, um, I think the easiest, the shortest road home to remember who you are and to awaken that spirit is usually blasting music and dancing around your room. You yeah. Know? I love, that. I, love <laughs> um, that. I think that can do the trick sometimes. Um, but yeah. So I think just like all of those things, we, we, after we hit that crossroads, if we don't choose ourselves, we kind of pick up all of these different like false identities um, and false selves. And they might lead to a life that like a fine life and a beautiful life from the outside in, but they certainly don't feel um, so great from the inside out. That makes sense. Okay, so Lauren, I we're gonna get ready to wrap up, but mm-hmm. I have one question for you. And like, okay. I have to ask, 
it has to kind of do with this, but it doesn't. So like we've been kind of talking about like the big picture stuff. And like I wanted to ask you about like a situational thing that I think like a lot of people can relate to right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I have a cousin who's 18, mm-hmm. um, just graduated or is going to graduate. Mm-hmm. Obviously, she, <laughs> this girl, oh my Lord, my heart for her because she was stage manager for a play four years of high school, finally got to be stage manager. It was the weekend before, and mm-hmm. then they canceled the play. Um, she has a brother that's two years younger and then an eight-year-old sister. Mm-hmm. Parents are trying to do the work from home, and one is out. There's yeah. an 18-year-old girl trying to graduate, study for her finals, get ready for college, Take mm-hmm. care of making sure her brother and sister are doing their Zoom calls. Mm-hmm. Basically, what do you people like this? Like that's what's happening right now. So, do you have any kind of like guiding advice for like females like in that situation? Because like I know it's probably not going to last forever, but like how do we get through that like stressful? Yeah, well, I think um you know whenever the go it going gets tough um in any situation, whether it's a pandemic or whatever. When the going gets tough, the women always have to get going, right? Yeah. So like we, al- we always fill the gaps. Um, that's just, it's it's our nature um, and it's what's expected. And so I think, um, you know, lots of this work is now falling on women's laps, you know, whether they be 18 or they're the mom at 30-some, whatever. But, um, yeah. but yeah, what's the suggestion is I think that, we can only do what we can do in one day. Right. And so, you know, while we, while we try to do every single thing so that, you know, this one makes their zoom calls and I, you know, can study for finals and whatever, um, there's no right way to pandemic. Um, and so I think, you know, my suggestion is no matter what you have to radically self-care every day. And I don't care who you are. Um, And what that means is you have to do something in each of these areas every day, physical, sleep, exercise, emotional, manage that inner critic that we talked about earlier, do some deep breathing exercises, um, do some meditation, something. If it's 15 minutes, perfect. You know, it doesn't have to be like this long thing. Physical, eat, sleep, exercise, emotional, manage that emotional health, spiritual, you know, it might seem, um, you know, people often think of religion when they think of spirituality, but I'm more thinking of using your gifts to make your world a better place. So instead of thinking of it like it could just be a cognitive shift, like, holy shit, now I have to help my brother get on the Zoom call. It's like, um, it's more like, okay, so I am now 18 and I have the opportunity to do this with my brother when I I may never have this opportunity again. So it's like, okay, so how can I make somebody else's day better without losing myself? Um, and the only way that we do that is to manage, you know, ourselves in these four areas. So spiritually, like using our gifts to make the world a better place. And um, intellectually, which is just, um, you know, learning something new every day. So I make sure that no matter what's happening, pandemic, tornado, you know, car crash, whatever happens in my day, that I definitely do something in each of those areas every single day so that I can stay emotionally, socially, physically, um, spiritually well. And I think, you know, that would be my advice for anybody. What does that look like? We have to keep structured schedules during pandemic. Um, We have to get our sleep. 
we have to get up. I think every day everybody should make their bed. I think you should get dressed, even if you're doing all your shit from home. Um, it just makes you feel better. Um, and then kind of just do what you can do. And that doesn't always mean everything that you have on that list. Yeah. I love that. And I think that there's ways to be creative in like your mind and like creating those things. I don't know. It's like every, that's like the thing people have to create that for themselves, but that's great advice. So, well, that is all the questions and the things that I have. Do you have anything like questions, comments, anything? No, I think this is great though. Um, here's a question. Um, what do you think is the one thing that you do for self-care each day that has had the biggest impact on your mental health? Um, definitely meditation. Meditation. Yeah. Because, and that's because like my mind, like you just, I just jump from thing to thing and thing and thing. And like, what I'm like always wanting, I'm so curious, like, I just feel like sometimes I don't even realize that my mind is getting ahead of me. And then a lot of times I don't even want to meditate. Like, it sounds like the, like, I'm like, I don't want to sit still for the next 10 minutes. Like why? But the, in, but the way that my mind can slow down and in those 10 minutes process, whatever stuff that I've been unwilling to process, like, it's just for me, like, it feels like you're like, rebooting the computer like I just feel like it's like a way for me to like really get back in touch with that inner self that you talk about like that inner spirit like it's so easy to get like frustrated by everything like I mean I'm working from home like wherever you are in this world it doesn't matter like life has been stressful over like the last whatever but life has always been stressful and always will be so like it's kind of like um you know you could get so caught up in that and like for me, meditation is like able to for me to connect back into like myself. And I think that's a very spiritual thing. So I guess that's like how I speak like, but all of those things I think are very important. I think a lot about stretching. Um, and like, so like that helps like, I feel like I feel so much better, like after I just do like a few yoga poses, like it doesn't have to be like a 40 minute yoga session, like it's just like stretching here and there. And the last thing that is taking care of plants, like house plants. Yeah. Like, and like, especially for maybe it's like single people, but I feel like a lot or like anyone really just like in that, that has given me like structure because I have to like get up and like, I have to watch. Yeah. It sounds so it's silly, good. but like, no, it's it just having that structure and like, like little bit, like mm-hmm. I, those are the three things I think that have been really helping me. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, meditation and <laughs> sometimes if I don't feel like meditating I just set my alarm for 20 minutes and take a 20 minute nap just to yeah myself. yeah just because like sometimes like I can think so hard and so fast that I can almost give myself a fever well I was gonna actually say that earlier because it's like interesting like when you when you were like discovering like all of the things you discovered about like societal norms and stuff that's like awesome no, like I think it's amazing right, that's, but... that's my greatest all of our greatest strengths are our greatest weaknesses. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, like, those connections and those things and, like, happen all day, every day. Yeah. Um, with this, like, it's, like, and, um, and so, yeah, so the reason, the reason that, you know, I oftentimes I have to very consciously stop my brain a lot of the time um, just to give it a rest. Because, yeah, like, I can work, I, I can I can think my way into a fever, which sounds Yeah, really me too. Cool, you know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Yeah. But I think 
we all have our we all have our thing. Um, so this has been really fun. Yeah. Uh, thanks for me. I appreciate you taking the time. I really do. And like everything that you're doing and the things that you've taught me and taught everyone else. And I am. And yeah, if, if there are any, any, um, you know, high school, college age girls, that's basically who this website is geared towards, but not therapy.us um, has articles and free worksheets that come with every article um, where it basically explains some topic of the week. So let's say it's, um, you know, there's three sections, um, self and society, mood, anxiety, depression, and relationship with self and others. So there's a topic um, where it kind of explains that thing. Um, and then there's a worksheet so you can work on that thing during the week. Um, so there's that and then a couple of curriculum and stuff like that if you want to check it out. Cool. And I will post that in the show notes. But thank you. All right. I, I promise you you're making like the biggest impact. So thank you. I thank really you. appreciate you. The time I feel like I'm just howling at the moon. <laughs> <laughs> I know we all do, but you're making an impact. So thank you. Thanks, dear. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Great. Thanks, Monica. All right. Bye. Well, thank you so much, Lauren, for your insight on all of that. I as always enjoyed it I'm gonna put the links to Lauren's social media and to not therapy in my show notes so you guys can all take a look at that um one of the great things that Lauren does is she updates um Instagram but the captions on her Instagram photos are just amazing because they make you feel so heard and so normal and I think that's something about her spirit that I really love a lot of times when, um, and she talks a lot, a little bit about this when she talks about how she created not therapy, but when you are in a setting where you are a therapist, um, as somebody who goes to therapy, sometimes it could be hard to like relate or feel like your therapist or um, person working with you really gets it like on a personal level. And I think what makes Lauren so great for our community is that she does not try to put herself up on a pedestal. She just takes what she learns and teaches others. And it's been amazing. So I really appreciate that. I don't have any recommendations for you this week. I hope that everybody is getting by in the current chaos of our world. I have a lot to say about it, but I don't have a lot to say about it. And I think this episode I've said about all I want to for this week. Um, The music that you hear in the beginning and the end of the episode is by Joe Burke. You can find his music on all streaming platforms. um, And you can also go over to iTunes and buy his album. You won't be disappointed. If you're interested in making a one-time donation to the show, I really would appreciate that. Um, As you know, I've been having a little bit of problems with technology, and um, as a result, now I will have to upgrade my equipment again and probably pay for some subscriptions to audio editing software um, that on my old laptop I was fortunate to already have built in. So it's a little bit of a struggle, Um, and I... Don't really expect people to have a lot of money right now to put forward, but if you like the show and you want to keep it going and you feel like you can support even just 3 to $5, um, please feel free to reach out to me because it will make all of the difference in the world. But as always, the single most 
important thing that you can do for the show is to simply share it with a friend, uh, whether that's personally, face-to-face talking about it, or through your social media. Um, It's really great to be able to expand the show to find more people to interview and to keep it growing. So that's always helpful. And if you listen to a lot of podcasts, you probably know that if you go on Apple iTunes and leave me a five-star review, it'll help me on the business end. Um, I really would appreciate if you could take the time to do that. And other than that, I really hope that you have a great, safe, and healthy week.